Turn to Habakkuk chapter 2. Or Habakkuk. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, whatever you want to call it. Or call him. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1 says this, I will take my stand at my watch post, and I station myself on the tower, and look out to see what he will say to me, and what I will answer concerning my complaints. Verse 2 says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits his appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come. It will not delay. How many people like waiting? It's going to be a really fun sermon. Everybody's going to walk away with a real smiley face today. One of my favorite prophets, Mr. Uh, Thomas Petty, once sang, uh, the waiting is the hardest part. And uh, I agree. Waiting is hard. I do not like waiting. Um, I love Christmas. One of the hardest things I've ever had to go through, and my life hasn't been, you know, it's, it's had some ups and downs, but um, I'll say one of the hardest things in the flesh uh, was learning my, my, my wife's family's traditions for Christmas over mine. Because I moved over here, I kind of, um, I have to do their thing. And, and in California, what we would do is we'd open all of our presents on Christmas Eve. Then Santa would come, and on Christmas morning, he'd bring you the big gift. So the night before, I would get the little Transformers, but on Sunday morning, Optimus Prime. Like, that was the big one. He was the one that cost the most, and, oh, Santa brought me Optimus Prime. Um, and then I came over here, and it was more, I guess, traditional. I always thought that's how everybody did Christmas until I moved over here. And my wife's family, you know, waited till Sunday morning. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I got to wait an extra, like, 12 hours to open my presents. And then, like, a couple years ago, when we first moved here, and we were first appointed at South Bay, Christmas was on a Sunday. We didn't open presents till like 8 o'clock at night. It was ridiculous. I was just like sitting there like, Jesus is the best. What did I get? What's that present? Yeah, I've, I'm like 12 years old, man. Don't, don't, whatever false illusions you have as me as a person, I'm just letting it all out there right now. Um, waiting is so hard. I don't like waiting. My, my son, he, his birthday is coming up in just a couple weeks. Every day we talk about his birthday because he cannot wait. Dad, I think I want to go here. I want to have this, and this is what I want for my birthday. Okay, son, the next day, all changed. I want to go to this place now. And, and I'm like, you don't – I'm not getting you anything. It's mess with them, you know. But you have to give me a present. No, I don't. I don't have to. I can, but I'm not going to – you know, I'm, I'm going to, but I don't have to just to mess with them because waiting is not uh, the human's uh, strong suit. Waiting is not fun. Um – but unfortunately, the way we learn how to wait in a way that glorifies Jesus is by waiting. Often we pray that the Lord would remove those things that would cause us not to wait. Uh, and that doesn't cause us to grow. That just keeps us immature. Um, if you've ever seen a child who's been given everything immediately, when they get to 20 or 30 years old, do they, are they able to wait patiently? Nope. They want everything immediately. Because they have not learned how to wait. They have not learned the art of waiting. And that's sort of what we're going to talk about today. And that's sort of the beginning of God's answer to Habakkuk's second question. That there's going to be a time frame between what I'm going to say right now until its actual completion. And in that time, 
who knows what's going to happen. Here's what I mean by that. Um, if I told you that we were going to eat at 8 p.m. tonight and you hadn't eaten since yesterday, I mean, you're starving because I promised you a sumptuous meal. You're just ready. In the meantime, between the time I told you to the time you sat down to eat, you would go through so many things. Are we ever going to eat? Oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. I have to tell everybody how hungry I am. Like, there's so many things I don't think I'll ever eat. What can Tony even cook? Will he actually have it ready on time? When God speaks to us and tells us things, they're often in a time frame not built around us. It's not according to our time, it's not according to our urgency. And at this point, I should be preaching to the choir. Most people should be sitting back going, yep, I can tell you this time and that time and this time where God seemingly was nowhere to be found till the very last minute. I'm here to tell you, it's only your very last minute. We know that God has this thing called perfect timing. And we love that when somebody else comes with a problem. Oh, I can't pay my bills. Well, God's timing is perfect, right? But then you can't pay your bills. Oh, this is the worst. And somebody says that to you and you want to slap them in the face. Like, you know it's true, but God, why do you have to say that? I know his timing's perfect, but I'm frustrated right now. <clears throat> Habakkuk has come to God. And, and the good news for Habakkuk, he started off with a little bit of, I'll call it self-righteousness. Kind of looking at everybody else saying how bad they are, not really, not really looking at himself. God kind of calling them out and saying, look, I'm going to bring in the Chaldeans to, to discipline the Israelites. That included Habakkuk. He's a part of that. The whole nation needed to be disciplined and healed of, of what amounted to be idolatry and the mingling of worship between uh, the one true God and false gods. The Bible tells us that there is one God. His name is, is Jesus. Or, or, or to put it this way, we serve a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. God the Father sends God the Son to the earth to die for our sins. And then God the Son goes back to the, his Father, sends God the Holy Spirit to indwell those who believe in Christ. In all of that, Habakkuk decides, you know what, God, whatever you're going to say next, this is verse 1. Whatever you're going to say next, I'm ready. I'm going back to work. I'm going back to my watch post. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to raise my kids if he has any. I'm, going to, I'm just going to keep going back to the life that I have because you are good. You have proven yourself. There's no reason for me to doubt you no matter what you say. It's like Habakkuk has written God a blank check. Say anything at this point, and that's what will be. That is true resolve, faith, and trust. Many of us trust God only so much as it does not hurt or inconvenience us. We trust God in so much that as long as we get what we want, then we'll trust God. But that's not true trust. True trust and true faith trusts him even when you're told things that you don't want to hear or when you go through experiences that you don't want to bear. That, as a matter of fact, nothing grows your faith more than those times. We're so busy trying to avoid them. We're so busy trying to, to get out of them. And God's using them to, to, to refine us, to change us, to correct us, to show us himself. And we're like, no. And he's like, but I want to show you. 
Habakkuk has this resolve. He, he's going to allow the Lord to say and do whatever he likes. And in verse 2, the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. This is the very essence of the gospel. The gospel message, um, think of yourself not as a bucket, but as a funnel. Big, wide mouth, we receive the gospel message, but then we're going to pour that out to somebody else. We're going we're to be a continuation in that message. We are going to run and proclaim that message. The, the, one of the great advantages we have in the gospel is that the gospel and the power therein is not ours. That means if I go, John, and I share the gospel with you, it's not how, how eloquent I can be. It's not how powerful of a speaker I can be. It's not how much of a sales pitch or how slick of a sales pitch I can give you about Jesus. It's simply Jesus died for your sins because you're a sinner. And without him, you will be condemned to hell forever. God loves you so much that he would send Jesus to die in your place so that you wouldn't have to go through that. And that's, I wait for the power of God in that. I don't have to, well, you know, come to church and I'll show you all the great programs we have or, you know, uh, use a lot of King James English. If anything, that's going to hinder my message to you or anybody else that I speak to. It's not about what power I have. It's what power the gospel has. So we're commanded to go to run and proclaim. You know, you think about town criers and heralds of the 17th and 18th century. They'd go out into the middle of towns and ring a bell and just shout the daily news. That's sort of what we're doing. And we do so not like that necessarily. We do that when we sit down with folks, when we go to work and we have integrity and we tell them why. And when we, we live a life that honors Jesus, that's the essence of the gospel, proclaiming it no matter what. Habakkuk's question first was, why do bad things happen to good people? God basically responds, you know, including you, Habakkuk, discipline is needed. Now, most of us, when we think of discipline, it's got a negative connotation. Um, it, it, it conjures up uh, bad imagery that we've seen sort of in the media and things like that. Discipline is, in its essence, though, is being discipled. It's being corrected when we are going wrong. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, Consider him, this is Jesus that the book of Hebrews is talking about, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that because you are God's children, through faith in Christ, he treats you as such. This means that you're not just a child of God in name only. And that's sort of how our world treats that term, child of God or children of God. We just, we just kind of take it and slap it on our chest and Yes, I'm a child of God. But the Bible says that, that those who have faith in Christ are the children of God. They've been given the right or the privilege to become the children of God. And then Hebrews says that 
If we are the children of God, we will be disciplined. So on today's checklist, discipline and waiting, really popular sermon. Um, but that is evidence that God considers you his child, his son, his daughter. That means you are in the fold. It's one of those things when you're doubting your salvation. I don't know if I got saved or not. I just didn't feel anything. Well, is God correcting you? Is he, is he disciplining you through his word, through the church, through experiences, through conviction of the Holy Spirit? If he is doing those things, then you are his child. If you are not his child, he does not rear you like that. It's evidence that he is our father. Discipline at the time, the Bible says, is not fun. And we can all agree with that, right? When we're being disciplined for something, it's not really that enjoyable. But the fruits of that, man, we want that, don't we? Like if you've ever uh, attempted to diet, it's hard, right? I mean, I wouldn't know but because I never diet. But <laughs> it's hard. But then you start seeing the benefits, right? If you stick at it a few weeks, you start seeing maybe your clothes fit a little better. You're not winded you know, peeling an apple or peeling an orange, you're like, you're, you start feeling better. The discipline, the part where you were like really working hard is starting to pay off. You start seeing, oh, there's, there's a reason to be doing this. Hard to get there, right? I mean, most of us are strong for one, two, three days, but two weeks, oh, if you can get two weeks in though, man, you start seeing the benefits of, 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 of a different lifestyle being disciplined in that way doesn't feel good in the moment, but as you start seeing the results, it starts feeling better. And we, you know, as you already talked, we talked about last week, relying on our emotions isn't the best thing to do because they lie to us, but feeling good about things is a good thing too. So <clears throat> God tells Habakkuk, write this stuff down so somebody can take it and proclaim it so they can run and just shout and, hey, here's the answer. What's the secret to waiting? I, I could ask a lot of you, and some of you would say, don't know how, honest opinion. Some of you would say, um, I do this, it's practical. But there's, a, there's an actual secret. It's not a secret. It's just something we overlook. It's in the Bible. It's been there for thousands of years. I don't know why we overlook it, but it, we do. What is the secret to the, I'll call it the art of waiting in such a way that glorifies Jesus? The answer is found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. We wait, as you turn there to Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, this is all about the sovereignty of Jesus. That means Jesus is not bound and limited by anything. See, we are limited by time, right? We, we are born... And from the time we're born, the clock ticks until we're done. And, and whatever that time frame is, we were bound by that. And God is not bound by that same time. At this point, if God has given us himself and we are saved and we will go to be with him, the things of this earth, the Bible says, are light afflictions because they're so temporary. You might say, Pastor Tony, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how badly it hurts. You don't know my past. And I will agree with you. You're absolutely right. But here's what I know. Just a, It seems like just a few 
moments ago my children were babies before that i was just a young kid married to my wife before that i was living in my you know parents house in my bedroom playing playstation before that i was in kindergarten and before that i was just like i said playing with transformers it seems like just just a little short while ago but time has gone so fast and and as days get get busier and more more packed with stuff to do time goes faster and faster and faster yes it's hard to wait but i know this time passes and while we're limited to time god is not my my favorite illustration my only illustration i have to kind of get my mind around this uh, eternal timelessness of god is like going to a sporting event like a football game basketball game you see players who are bound by time but you're not so they have you know if they're in basketball they have a shot clock and periods and and that sort of thing but you're free to go and go and come as you please i want to go to the concession stand i need to go use the restroom you don't have to wait for the clock you just get up and go the the audience has a sort of sovereignty that the players do not have and so so God is like the ones in the stadium. He has no time limits. He has no no fear of 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 any he's in eternity. I don't even know how to describe eternity. No beginning, no end. What does that even look like? Can't, because my mind only works in beginnings and ends. <clears throat> Philippians chapter four, verse twelve says this. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says, just in case you lost some of the translation there, I have learned how to have a lot of stuff. And I've learned the art of waiting when I have no stuff. I have learned what it's like to have a full stomach. And I've been at times where my stomach was empty and I didn't know where my next meal was coming from. Whether I was abased or abound, whether I had a lot or I had nothing, whether I was wealthy or poor, whether I was hungry or starving, whether I was well or sick, whether I had friends or I was alone, whether I was feeling great or feeling the weight of the world on my shoulders. I have learned the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And who is the him? Jesus. Some of your translations will put his name there. It's referring to, it's referencing Jesus. The secret here is not about how strong you are. It's not about how great you are or accomplishing something or reading the right book or 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 any any method that you might think of God might use those praise God if he does but here's the secret I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me it does not say I can do all things period it says I can do all things through Christ or through him who strengthens me so here's here's our goal now how do we get Christ and how do we get that strength in and through us so we might endure all things there's a story in the book of acts of men who tried to invoke the name of jesus like an incantation they tried to to invoke it during i guess you would call it maybe like a witchcraft type of a thing they they tried to wield his name and power 
without being followers of Christ, and it didn't end well for them. There are tons of people who go out claiming to go out in the name of Christ, but all they have done is tried to slap his name on their thing. You see that from, from the, the, the right and the left. Everybody has their agenda, and they try to slap Jesus on their agenda to make it his agenda, and it doesn't work that way. If, if, if we're going into our presidential election season coming up, you're going to have, you're going to have Democrats slapping Christ on something, and you're going to have uh, the Republicans slapping Christ on something else, and they're both going to be calling it the agenda of Christ. Really all it is is they're trying to get Jesus to support what they have. It doesn't work that way. Jesus has a mission and a goal, and we are to adopt that. Whether we're a politician or a business owner or a mom or a dad, whether we're a contractor, whether we just are self-employed, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a worship leader or a sound guy, I mean, this is what we are to uh, seek, the will and the sovereignty of Jesus in our lives. The, the, the resolve that says, your will be done, in heaven as it, or on earth as it is in heaven not my will not what i want what you want and and the only way i know to do that is to say you know what god i want what you want if you tell me that this is sin then it's sin and i may still want to do it i might still feel like it feels good but you've told me not to do it i won't and i won't legalize so many things if you've told me to do something um because it will not benefit my family you know in 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 i forget which book it's in but paul uses this great analogy he says there are some who won't eat meat because their conviction their their conscience doesn't let them and and paul says that's their weakness but but we as christians we have to we can't just go and beat them over the head with some spare ribs we have to we have to go in and 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 be nurturing to them. Not just tell them how wrong and stupid and backwards they are and, well, haven't you read the New Testament, blah, blah, blah. You go in and say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to eat meat in front of you because it might cause you to stumble. And, and the last thing I want to do is cause you to go into sin just to exercise my liberties. I have the freedom to do so, but far be it for me to use my freedom to put you in chains. So I see, you know, I see a lot of pastors on, on Facebook, you know, sharing things like going out for drinks and things like that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't. But I wonder about the folks who do have a problem with that. Not just in the, ah, demon drink, blah, 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 not that kind of thing. I don't know where all these voices are coming from today. But I'm talking about people who have struggled with alcoholism, who now have found a life in Christ, and they're wondering, you know, is that something I revisit or not? Maybe for them, drinking was something that led them into the worst part of their life ever. And I just think to myself, I might be at a meal enjoying a great meal with my wife and just have, and, and I want to post a picture on Facebook because that's what we have to do nowadays. And, and I think, no, I don't, I don't want to hurt somebody like that. If somebody comes and asks me, I'm pretty honest. I try to be pretty transparent, you know. But I'm not going to parade it, parade my liberties and hurt somebody just because I have a freedom. I would rather see somebody grow and become strong rather than to just make them more weak. So Paul says 
to us, to the church in Philippi, the secret is not really a secret. It's giving your life to Christ. How do you get the strength of Christ in you? You believe and you have faith in Jesus. There are no prayers. There are no scripts. That's not a certain day you have to do this on. You don't have to do it with me. You don't have to uh, find a special church at a special time. You have to put your faith in Christ. And what does that mean? That you believe the gospel. That you were a sinner, but though you were a sinner, Christ died for you. Not to condemn you to hell. He, cried, he died for you so to save you from it. That he cares about you. That he sees your life. And you might be grasping at the air, wondering where he's at, but he's there. And some of you, I just, I just look around the room with my eyes closed somehow. I look around the room and I, and I know your struggles, at least what you've let me know. <clears throat> and I know that this is a message that, that meets a lot of contention. Because we don't feel this. We don't even see it. This is why the Word of God is so important. This is why we preach only out of the Bible. Because the Bible tells us no matter what we feel, no matter what we think, or, or even what our opinions are, there is a truth and a standard that is higher than our own. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free of the love of money, sort of a side note, and be content with what you have, talking about waiting, satisfaction, being satisfied in where you're at. It says, for, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Same principle said in a different way. Don't be caught up with greed. Some of you think greed is all about money. It's not. It's about a heart that's unsatisfied. It's about, it's about being satisfied in Christ alone. And the writer of Hebrews says, the promise is that God will never leave you nor forsake you. That means he never looks at you and says, you know what? You're too much. He never looks at you and says, I can't with you today. He never looks at you and says, I made a mistake. He looks at you and knows you and decides that Jesus is worth it. Decides that no matter what proclivities you might have, he would still die for you. Doesn't Your past doesn't matter anymore. People might bring it up and they might see you as, as you were in the past, but that's not who you are anymore. You're a child of God through faith in Christ. What a glorious, what a glorious title that God has, has, has given to us. That he would adopt us as a, as a child. Have you ever adopted a dog? I mean, not to call us all dogs. That's what it sounds like I'm saying. I'm really not. But if you've ever gone to one of those places where you can adopt a pet and how excited they get, ever so often you see a dog who's just been there too long and they're just like, eh. But for the most part, you see dogs are just like jumping like crazy because they have human affection and, and, and somebody's trying to pet them and they just want to love them like crazy. Why? Because they yearn to be taken in. And for some of you, you're afraid of that. Because that's the essence of vulnerability. For you to be taken into the family of God, to, to be his child, you've got to open yourself up completely. And maybe you've done that before and it hurt because somebody took advantage of you. And that is the worst. And I am sorry that somebody did that to you. And when I hear stories like that, I think about 
you know, doing that to other people myself and, and seeking God in that. God, forgive me for, for taking advantage of people who were vulnerable before me. But I can guarantee you that vulnerability before Jesus does not end in being taken advantage of. It ends in you growing and blossoming and living life like you've never known. But now that's up to you. Waiting waiting is really hard. It's even harder without Jesus. God promises Habakkuk, he promises in other places of the Bible, that if he has spoken something, it's going to happen. He has told us Jesus will return, he will return. That means one day, literally, Jesus will come back. He will literally pick us up and take us with him. We will leave this that we know, and we will experience something that we can't even fathom right now. I love reading the book of Revelation. I, I, it's God's word, and I love reading about the, the four-square city and the pearly gates and all that good stuff. But I, but I just think to myself, even that I can't even fathom. Streets of gold and, and, and the, the, the only light being Jesus there. Like I, and my mind can't even absorb that. What is that even going to be like? I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see that one day. Who will, who will be there with me? Who, will, who has gone before me that I will see there? How will we all worship? You know, what, what will that be like? Will I get a guitar? There won't be any tambourines, I know that, but will I get a guitar or something like that? Will I get something to put in my hand so I get, or will I just throw them up or will I just – will it – ah, oh, what would it be like? I wonder how many of you all see there with me. I mean, I'm hoping. I, people always ask me when somebody dies, do you think they went to heaven? I don't know. I'm still hoping that I get there. And I've done all. I've, I've believed in Jesus, but still, I'm waiting for that day. I wonder who will I see there? Who was who really put their faith in Jesus, and who was here just to be here because their parents went here, or because that's just what you did on Sunday? You know, I wonder. I wonder what that will be like. There's an old hymn, when we all get to heaven, what a, something, what, how's the rest of it go? That wasn't loud enough, come on. I, I lost, I had the words in front of me up here today and I was forgetting the words. When we all get to heaven, what a, what a glorious day that'll be, amen, right? Awesome, thank you for that. Thank you for being loud back there, Robert. I appreciate that. So, what do we have to wait for? Well, here's the good news. The circumstances you're in, they're, they, they're like waves of the ocean. They come and go. A lot of people come to me with problems. And I'm like, yeah, I'm watching all these waves. And, and waves can be scary, but they roll back, don't they? And they come back again. Got no money. Oh, I got money again. I don't like my wife. Well, I like her again. I don't like my husband. Oh, I like him again. I got to play both sides, I guess. Kids are crazy. No, they're calm. President's the worst. Oh, no, he's okay again. We're still waiting for that wave to come back. <laughs> those are That's low-hanging fruit. That's such an easy joke to throw out there. I could do those all day. Um, but we just wait. But here's what we're really waiting for. 
Here's what you're really waiting for. You're waiting for your salvation because we have the promise of salvation. We have yet to experience salvation. We're awaiting Jesus' return. We have the promise of his return, but we have yet to experience that. We have, we are awaiting a, a new body that we yearn for. We have the promise of it, but we haven't yet experienced it. See, these are the things worth waiting for. The other things, they come and go. These are things that we are waiting for patiently, yet on the edge of our seats. These are the things, if you are going to invest in, these are the things that you should invest in. Everything else will come and go. Everything else, moth and rust, destroy all that stuff. You know, pay your bills, go to work, do all that stuff. But man, if you're going to invest in anything, May it be your salvation and the salvation of another person. Because at the end of all of that, that's all that will matter. So I want you to stand with me today. Jesus, we surrender to you. We pray, Lord, that the pain and the hurt of our past or even our present would not hinder us from coming to you. Lord, I surrender to you. Father, there are people in this room, as much as I know them, Lord, I think about them, I wonder about their salvation, I wonder where they're at, I wonder what they need or where they've been hurt or what they've been taught that's wrong or right. Or In all that, Lord, you know, I surrender them to you. They're, they're your children, they're your people, they're, they're your uh, recipients of the gospel. I pray, Lord, that today that that gospel message would, would sink into their hearts that they would know that there is a God who loves them and his name is Jesus. That you love the world so much that you gave us Jesus, not, not just to have, but that he might die for our sins, that we may be reconciled to you, that he might conquer death so that we no longer fear passing from this life to the next. We know it's simply just an, it's a transition, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that, that eternal life is not something that we wait for and see that eternal life would start today that the life that only you provide that abundant life that life that that only that only comes through faith in you that we would begin to experience that beginning today not out of greed not because we want to attain a lot of stuff but because we want you father for your people wherever they're at wherever they're walking whatever's before them or behind them lord may today they know that you love them and that you seek to forgive them of their sins. Lord, we praise you, and we trust you, and we rejoice knowing that you are the good promise giver, that you're a promise keeper that, that indeed does keep all his promises. You know, we've, we've all been lied to, Lord. We've all been given promises by people who claim to love us and would never hurt us, and yet they do. But that is not you. And it's not fair of us to put that on you. Your word says that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Father, if we have left you or forsaken you, I'm thankful that you bring back your prodigals, that you welcome them with open arms, that as they seek forgiveness and they repent, they don't find a, a father with a wagging finger in their face. They find a dad with his arms wide open, ready to embrace. And Lord, these secondary issues, the things that we're going through that are temporary, things like cancer, things like divorce, things like poverty, 
Father, I, I pray that these temporary light afflictions, that you would give us the perseverance to help us endure those trials and glorify you in them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.